my name is Yvonne Rand, and I'm uh, an interloper from the Zen world. Actually, I'm not so much of an interloper uh, as I might seem. In uh, Japan, uh, the Zen tradition is quite separate from any of the other uh, meditation paths, but that's not true, as some of you know, I'm sure, in Vietnam, where Zen and Vipassana are practiced side by side in uh, Zen monasteries and training places. And I actually think that for us as Americans, the combination is, is very good, it's very uh, effective. So I appreciate the home path that is uh, followed here at Spirit Rock very much. And I'm very happy to, uh, to be here this evening as spring slips through our fingers. <laughs> Sitting here this evening with the uh, breeze coming through the window softly was very sweet. I'd like to uh, speak this evening about the uh, miserable subject that we always seem to be talking about, that the Buddha started talking about, suffering. And I'd like to begin with a poem about suffering. They were never wrong, the old masters. How well they understood its human position, how it takes place while someone else is eating or opening a window or just walking dully along. I have for a while uh, been working with a verse from a very old text that some of you may know about or may know directly. It's the teaching by Shantideva about how to be a bodhisattva. And in the chapter on patience, chapter 6, verse 10, the verse goes, why be unhappy about what you can do something about and why be unhappy about what you cannot do something about? <laughs> Some of us uh, know that verse or the, uh, the teaching in that verse as the serenity prayer. One of the outrageous propositions that Shantideva puts forth is that we might treat our so-called enemy as our teacher. And when I suggest that to some of my students, they think I'm torturing them. <laughs> and I'm not. I actually think that Shantideva is right, that there is extraordinary opportunity in those situations in our lives which we would describe as difficulties or those people in our lives with whom we have some big trouble or maybe not such big trouble. So we have this expression in our house. My husband and I will say to each other in certain situations, oh, this is Shantideva material. <laughs> And in the beginning, we were um, sidling up to looking at things from this point, point of view. At least I was. I have to ask my husband if he was sidling up. 
But in the last uh, year or so, I've been focusing on the opportunity in these difficulties and in these relationships with so-called enemies with a different kind of attention and focus. And I've been amazed at the process. And in fact, this spring I did an eight-week class in Berkeley on difficulties, the opportunity in meeting difficulties and enemies. And we had such a lively time that we decided we needed to continue. I thought, how can 45 or 50 people show up every week to talk about these miserable things? <laughs> but of course, we all have these difficulties in our lives. So what I'd like to talk about this evening, what I'd actually like to uh, offer, is a meditation practice specifically for working with emotional states that come up that we respond to as, I can't stand this. I can't do this. It's too much. I feel overwhelmed. This is not possible. Those emotional states that arise that we turn away from, or at least we try to. This particular uh, meditation comes out of the mindfulness tradition, but the specificity of the practice I find enormously helpful. And in fact, what I would like to do with you this evening is to focus on the first step of the meditation, although I will be happy to describe the other four steps. But I want to encourage all of us to focus on the first step and let ourselves pick it up, if you will, and try it. Because, of course, as I'm sure you know, reading about meditation practices has uh, virtually no effect. (laughs) (laughs) Although I like reading about practices and I find it very inspiring, in fact, unless I do the practice, it doesn't make so much difference, does it? Now, before I begin, I want to um, point out what I find quite quite interesting, quite remarkable, that there is a kind of um, template that is offered to us in the teachings of the Buddha for how to be in our relationship with all beings and all things. And that is the um, relationship which is described one way or another over and over again of being like a mother with her only newborn child. One day I realized it's not being like a mother with her 11th newborn child. It's not being the mother who is a kind of expert. Oh, I know how to do this. I've done this lots of times before. And I thought, oh, that's very interesting. To be like a mother with her only newborn child, that means that we women do not have an edge over the men. Because we're talking about that relationship of quickening, of excitement, of nervousness, of great interest that comes with having a new child. For any of us who have ever been a parent, what we can remember is that we were not experts, but we were very attentive. <laughs> 
So that quality of tenderness, of nurturing, of presence, of attention that a mother has with her only newborn child. So the first step then is to first get ourselves settled, either with walking slowly or with sitting down and letting ourselves feel grounded and as aligned as possible. This particular meditation is uh, presented in the literature as the meditation for the transformation of anger, but I have found that it is very effective with anger or with fear or with anxiety or with any of what we might call the afflictive emotions. Those emotions that seem overwhelming. So once I've settled myself with either some few minutes of walking or sitting, I then let myself uh, take this gesture with my two hands at the heart chakra. And I hold. I actually allow myself to have this sense of holding the emotion that I'm experiencing at the moment. And it is this gesture of holding that emotional state that is described as holding with the tenderness of a mother with her only newborn child. And the instructions are quite specific. Not with any clasping to the breast or with any quality of denial or aversion. Just holding with ease at the heart chakra. You may find doing this particular meditation will go a little more easily if you close your eyes, but that's up to you. So as I sit with myself, having some emotion arise for uh, our purposes, let's do the meditation uh, with fear. I will then, as I hold the emotion at the heart, say to myself, breathing in, I note fear within me. Breathing out, I note fear within me. Breathing in, I note fear, the emotion that's arising in this moment, including whatever physical sensations may be accompanying this emotional state. I hold gently and tenderly as though I am a mother with my only newborn child. Breathing in, I note fear within me. Breathing out, I note fear within me. And so on for a few minutes or for longer. That's up to you. Now there are a couple of uh, things that I would like to bring your attention to. One is to notice that you are asking yourself to bring your awareness to the emotional state for the space of an inhalation and then the space of an exhalation, not even for a whole breath. So as I breathe in, I note fear within me. And then in the next moment as I exhale, I note fear within me. So particularly at those times when I feel overwhelmed, 
this unit of measurement is doable, even with the most intense emotional state. I can be with myself for the space of an inhalation or an exhalation. And of course what happens then is that I have uh, some small sense of my capacity to turn towards what I feel I cannot be with for that brief moment of inhalation. And my ability to do that then contributes to my staying with my self and this emotion arising on the exhalation. So if what I'm experiencing seems very intense, then I don't try to do it for very long. With certain emotional states, it's actually easier to do, to do the practice while you're walking. And it goes very nicely with walking slowly, especially if you're walking on some level surface. You don't want to go over a hillocky pasture. <laughs> so sometimes during retreats, I will see uh, one of the people in the retreat that we're doing together out in the walking garden, walking with their hands at this, with this gesture, and I will know what practice they're doing. Sometimes someone may do the practice for an hour or two if something really big is coming up. And sometimes I will see someone in the meditation room lift their hands for a few minutes. There are four more steps to the meditation, but I would uh, propose that maybe between 80 and 90 percent of the transformation that can happen with the meditation actually happens in this first step. What we have with this practice is the practice of neutral, tender, but somewhat neutral awareness. That is that quality of awareness which is completely free of judgment, which is what is the thread that runs through the entire meditation tradition. But the specific detail of this first step, I think, is very helpful in remembering, in helping ourselves, in guiding ourselves through that process of bringing awareness to that which we feel we cannot turn towards. And of course, what we discover over and over again is how often the turning away leads to more suffering, not less. That we have some illusion about our capacity when we say, I can't stand this. I would even suggest that when most of us say, I can't, what we really mean is uh, either I don't want to or I don't know how. I feel very different when I say I don't want to or I don't know how than when I say I can't. I wonder if that's true for any of you. So I'd like to describe the other uh, four steps in the meditation, but I want to encourage you, if you decide to try it, to do the meditation and stay with step one 
for a long time until you feel like you've wrung it dry. <laughs> Don't move to the second step too quickly. And maybe you'll understand why when I describe the other steps. The second step is to say to myself, breathing in, I know the causes and conditions of this fear are within me. Breathing out, I know the causes and conditions of this fear are within me. A way to remind myself that something has happened and what I am attending to is my response. How often do any of us say, that frightens me, or he frightened me, or it's very frightening. (laughs) As though this uh, arising of fear is happening because of some outside force or agency. So this second step is a way to remind ourselves that stuff happens. And we are not uh, focusing on trying to control the realm of what happens. I think that's the realm that Shanti Deva is pointing to when he says, why be unhappy about what I cannot do something about? (laughs) The stuff that happens. But what I can attend to is the response that I have to the stuff that happens. So this second step is a reminder, a way of bringing myself to noticing that the causes and conditions in my life, my history, my conditioning, all of that, is what has led to my responding in the way I am in this particular moment to this particular situation. So breathing in, I know the causes and conditions of this fear are within me. Breathing out, I know the causes and conditions of this fear are within me. The third step and the fourth step go somewhat together, and they go like this. Breathing in, I calm fear. Breathing out, I calm fear. So that's step three, calming. And step four, breathing in, I ease fear. Breathing out, I ease fear. So with each step, you'd, on the inhalation and on the exhalation, you would keep repeating the focus. And then the fifth step, which is a more of a, an intellectual analyzing, thinking about what are, as well as I can see what they are, what are the causes and conditions that have led to this emotion arising in me. When I've done retreats on uh, what I call the afflictive emotions, and we've worked with this meditation over a course of a day or two, what I notice is most people want to go from step one to step five as quickly as possible. (laughs) If I could just figure this out, let me think about it. Certainly, I don't want to stay with feeling what I'm feeling. I don't want to stay with the emotion itself. I want to get out of town (laughs) to the realm of thinking about it. And my experience is that that is usually a way of being stuck. I keep trying to figure it out. 
And of course, the great paradox is that as I can turn towards what is so, as I can be with myself as I actually am, that quality of awareness of what is so leads to the arising of uh, allowing, the mind of allowing. And it is the natural consequence of that quality of allowing that leads to insight. There have been times in my own practice when I've uh, felt like what I was doing was taking a kind of uh, big stick, you know, a big, this is a good stick, good stick and a flashlight and going in there into my mind, all right, where are you? (laughs) Ready to whack whatever it is that's that's uh, trouble. And of course that part of my mind which is being threatened with this big stick scuttles under some rock like a kind of crab. (laughs) Especially those aspects of the mind that have to do with fear or with some quality of vulnerability. But to begin with holding the emotional state with this tenderness of a mother with her only newborn child. That's a very different way of being with ourselves, especially when we're upset, especially when we're frightened or frustrated or, heaven forbid, angry or anxious or even confused. I don't know what I'm experiencing right now. So the trick is to stay with the first step until you feel thoroughly ready to move to the second step. To move from one step to the next one with patience and attention. My other suggestion is that whatever label you use for the emotional state that you are aware of, hold that label with some tentativeness because the emotion may change. You might, for example, feel very angry about something and you begin with breathing in, I note anger within me. And at some point you realize, oh, fear. (laughs) So you want to uh, be ready for uh, some shift and not assume that the emotional state that you're aware of on the inhalation is quite the same emotional state that you are aware of on the exhalation or on the next inhalation. So a kind of uh, awareness about what is so in this moment, not trying to generalize in any way. I remember one time a couple of years ago when um, I went into the room in our house, which was at the time my office, and I listened to a message on the answering machine. And as I listened to the message, I felt very upset. And initially, I felt a kind of tangle of emotional states, upset, some confusion, some fear, some anger, a tangle. 
And I went into another room in the house and I sat down and I took three or four breaths and I then began with step one. And I was amazed at how quickly I realized that at some deep level the emotion that I was experiencing was fear. And so I sat with myself with this gesture, holding fear at the heart chakra, and I just did this meditation for about 20 minutes. What was so striking to me was the quality of dissolving that happened without my trying to get rid of this emotional state. That in my willingness to be with myself exactly as I was for that period of time, there was as a direct consequence of that quality of attention with what was going on, this uh, dissolving and easing and fading away that was not something I was doing. It was a shift, some transformation, which became, became possible out of the cultivation of allowing. And I think this particular quality in practice is challenging for us as Americans because we live in a culture that emphasizes doing. We have a lot of uh, experience about doing and fixing. We don't have nearly so much experience with being with. I think it's why dying is so hard for us, our own or someone else's. Because at a certain point, there isn't anything to do except to hang out. It sounds so slight, doesn't it? Just hang out. But I think it's actually a big gift to be willing to hang out. So I hadn't thought about it before, but uh, this meditation, step one, is uh, kind of hanging out, <laughs> hanging in. Isn't it interesting how so many of the practices that we know about and that we do are simple? They may not feel easy, but they are simple. <laughs> and pretty direct. So I would like to invite you to explore your own experience with step one of this meditation. And what you might do is begin with some small emotional arising. Because of course that will feel a little more doable, more possible. And if you do it only a few times, then when you are really in the soup, you will think of doing it. And you'll have some sense about how to let yourself sit down or go for a slow walk and hold that emotion within you that some part of the mind says, I can't stand this. My experience is that most of us don't have any idea of what we can stand. Maybe that's what the story about Job is about. 
Most of us don't begin to know what great capacity we have until our lives bring us some situation that tests us. And of course our lives do bring us those tests. I went through a time of unwellness with one of my children earlier this year and felt very much like, oh, this is a test. (laughs) Pushed against the wall. (laughs) For those of us who are parents, we have a particular kind of vulnerability with our children. But I actually think that we all have that vulnerability with whoever it is that we care about deeply. I have a student who has a particularly uh, difficult relationship with her boss. And I suggested to her one day that she put her boss's picture on her altar. (laughs) She said, first of all, how am I going to get the picture? (laughs) I said, well, you could ask her. And she said, yeah, then she's going to want to know what I want it for. (laughs) But this, my friend would come home from work many nights feeling very angry and upset with her boss. I don't know if she ever got a picture. She may have just put her boss's name on her altar or drawn a little sketch or taken some doll and used it as a kind of stand-in. I actually never asked her. But she said slowly over some long period of time, she began to realize that her boss was not so different She also wants to be happy. And so my friend then began to be more open to being with whatever emotion was arising in her. She told me recently how amazed she is that she was so resistant to the possibility of holding her anger with this tenderness of a mother with her only newborn child. But in the end, I think tenderness and kindness and patience and generosity are the reliable ground that the Buddha has shown us. Simple. Maybe not so easy, but simple. So that's my uh, offering for this evening. And I hope that you will explore step one for yourselves and see how it goes. And I wonder, especially if we turned on the lights, if maybe you have some things that you would like to talk about. Yes. 
lot of doubting things in life that seem to undercut one another and it becomes overwhelming. I've never, I've only used this meditation with um, intense negative emotional states, or not so intense, but I've, I've only used it with emotional states, and I think it's particularly effective with that. And I, my experience is that when uh, doubt arises, there can be then uh, some emotional response to that state of mind. So. In doing the practice, I think that um, being willing to kind of feel around like you're in the dark to find what 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 am I experiencing? What is my emotional state? And for some of us, we are one of the ways we've learned to take care of ourselves is to not know what our emotional state is, to put all that realm at some great distance. So if that's the case, then we have to start with very small things. And it may be that we'll start with physical sensation that gives us access to some news about our emotional state. So for some of us, we may more quickly notice that our stomach is in a knot, or we have some great tightness in the throat or in the jaw, something like that, which helps us understand, oh, I'm upset. So. I may start with holding this knot in my stomach as a way of just letting myself be with some vague sense that maybe everything isn't just great. I remember one time some years ago when I was uh, caught in a series of gridlocks in the city on a Friday afternoon during the first rain of the fall, in those days when we didn't have rain in June, July, August, September, October. <laughs> and um, there I am, you know, driving along. I am the calm Zen student, <laughs> clenching my jaw. And at one point, I pulled over and realized that my stomach was just in a knot, and that I, the minute I was able to say, oh, I'm feeling upset. Just naming what was so had the effect of some easing. So I think there's that dimension in the practice that has to do with naming. A kind of relief when we get aligned in that way. Yes? Well, what? You mean you might start crying hard? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, yeah. So? <laughs> it's not terminal.
there's something that you can see Boston kind of just this person or this a little bit of distance of holding it. Maybe it's okay. It's it's just the line I guess between meditation and what I experienced as therapy then just kind of blurs and it's kind of one thing and maybe it's well, there certainly is a therapeutic dimension to this meditation. There's no question about that. I think that if you stay, if you keep on the inhalation and then on the exhalation, bringing awareness to the emotion, but also the physical sensation or sensations that you're aware of that seem to accompany the emotional state, that sense of body awareness keeps you in the moment. I think what's probably a much bigger hazard is getting caught by some story, which takes us off to step five, or not, but the story. And the practice is about being with, being able to be attentive, aware of the emotion arising in the moment. Not any story about it. Not thinking about this state that arises. Because, of course, as I do this, I also begin to notice in each moment there's some shift. That's why holding the the naming with some tentativeness, I think, is very important. Please. Excuse me, may I suggest that you use the microphone so everyone can hear you, please? It's a bit, it's a, please come and sit here. Thank you very much. In addition to our sisters giving the response to your questions, <clears throat> I'd like to, to share with you this few minutes. And also, the, I don't know then how long that you have been in this practice, how long that have you been in this meditation. Yeah, but, <clears throat> but at the time you meditate, uh, uh, which technique that you follow at the time that, that before you have that uh, experience that you feel that you like is going to start crying and something like tears coming out. You are new to this practice and, and you say that, right? And how long? How many times? How, how many weeks? How many months? To this particular practice? Uh-huh. Yeah. This one that she was talking about? Or meditation? Meditation. Oh. A year off and on. Okay, fine. <clears throat> so that's I'd uh, like to know that. Um, in, in meditation practice, that experience can be or can can be happened, can be experienced by <clears throat> by anyone, anybody. But your experience is different from another experiences. 
So that can be experienced by anyone. You just aware of that feeling happen to you. Okay, and some experience may may like like um, what's your name? Hmm? No, this is your name. Julie. Like for example, if Julie is sitting, you know, here, and even even we have a break, for example, okay, she may not be aware of. We make announcements. Oh. Our sister uh, gave a bell, and she may not be aware of that. And but she experiences she is experiencing very deep concentration. Very deep, and she has nothing to to work with with this announcement. She enjoy with her deep concentration. That also experience. That is a mind experience for meditation practitioners. So your experience is one of those, or. Sometimes I may sit, you know, in the same room with you, with her, and I feel like I am very light, so <laughs> I can fly. I feel. Then I I may move out from from this sitting, uh, walking. So that is make 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 the people getting something. So that is why. The the important thing is to aware, aware of that moment, aware of the moment that you experience. Do you feel? You feel you experience, and why? Why we should or should be aware of that? Why? Why do? Because. That experience is happening. This is happening. This is going on. This is changing. It's going. It's going. It's coming. It's going. You know. <laughs> now it's not there with you now, right? Yeah. See, it's gone. <laughs> See, it's gone already. So that moment you experience. I experience, and anyone, more people experience. So, uh, February week-long retreat in Chicago. One young lady, this very very good meditation practitioner in in terms of the practicing, you know, and she's about thirty uh, years old. She has same thing that you you had you, you experience. Sitting, the tears coming out, <laughs> tears coming out, coming out. And I didn't aware of that. I didn't see that. But after we break, you know, and she, she raised the question, and she tell us, she told us about her experience, same thing that you have. So not to worry about that. You are happy with that experience, and you are happy with that feeling. In another, in another way, we, we may not say, "Be happy with that." We may not say that, but we even say, "Be aware of that." 
be mindful of that. Because in, in the way our sister told us, breathing a way of your emotion or your feeling, breathe out a way of your feeling, whatever happened, a way of that. Why should we do that? Uh, because we want to develop our awareness and mindfulness, you know, and work with that. Like, uh, in one way that we say, like our sister worked with her emotion or experience in dealing with the children, you know, work with that, be with that, work with that, and be with that. She said, we learn how to do in American society, right? <laughs> how to do, how to work, how to laugh, how to become angry, how to get upset. But we didn't learn how to be with, how to observe, how to see deeply, how to concentrate, how to contemplate. We never learned all that. I may be wrong, right? <laughs> but you, have, you may have the question, like, uh, how, if we didn't contemplate, if we didn't concentrate, how can we get a satellite and it has gone and we land on the moon? You see? That is the result of the scientists who concentrate on the scientific way of thinking. So that is, that is why in Japanese society, the scientists were very well treated to meditate, to contemplate, to work with the new, what we call, sister, new age. <laughs> new age, new age, right? Uh, program, technology, science, electronic, you know? Without contemplation, without concentration, we cannot work with that. So we have, but sometimes we didn't aware of that. You know, we work, 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 work. And if we, if we get all those scientists, you know, to meditate like this, you know, we would not have any budget for the nuclear weapon. <laughs> right, sister? Huh? <laughs> this is my witness. <laughs> See? She wrote for me. <laughs> that is the point. So, $40 million the Bruce put for the arm race and nuclear weapon. And we have nowhere to, to experiment. <laughs> we have to do something. And we, we, we get done. So, we, I said, let, let us get 20% of that budget. We have a hundred of meditation centers like this in America, you know. We don't need to, 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 to raise all those things. Then we will get peace for the world, right? See, we can bring peace for the world, peace. So, sister, not to worry, okay? <laughs> Not to worry. <laughs> okay? Work with that 
let go and be with that and see, look, look how is how how is the beginning of that feelings happening? How is appear to your mind? How is changing? How is feeling has gone? Work with that mindfully, carefully. She give us two words, two two things: patience, intention. See. Samadhi, intention. Passion, kandhi. That is the one of the seven key of the seven factors for enlightenment. Go for that. <laughs> Thank you. So I want to uh, underline what you just said, which is that the direct consequence of this holding, being with, being present with the emotion arising is the possibility then of seeing how it changes. We have some idea in our mind, oh, I am frightened and I've been frightened for all day or all my life or whatever. We say that kind of thing because we haven't been able to pay slow down enough or be with ourselves enough to notice that in each moment what we're experiencing is not quite the same as the moment before or the moment after. And of course the paradox is if I'm trying to get rid of the emotion, I'm trying to get it away, I'm trying to change it, I'm stuck. I keep regenerating that same emotional state that I'm trying. I'm meeting with aversion. So this, just taking this gesture, if you're in a crowded bus and you think they'll think you're weird, you could visualize it. Actually, everyone knows what doing this means. They don't have to be Buddhists. Somebody back there wanted to ask something. I saw a hand. Wow. Yes, way in the back. Stand up, please. Yes, our favorite. Are you still only looking at your internal process, or are you also looking at external factors that Well, I would include external factors, but in this process, of course, I'm looking at not the what's happened, but my response. But they do go together. <laughs> and I think we have such a strong tendency to say, it made me, or he made me frightened or angry or whatever. And it just isn't accurate. It's so easy to say to my husband... You made me angry. But it simply isn't accurate. He just does what he does. He's just being himself. And then I have my response. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yes. So you can write them all down. 
Sure. Step one is, after you've settled and grounded yourself, holding with this gesture at the heart, with the tenderness of a mother with her only newborn child, breathing in, I note, whatever the emotional state is, let's say fear, breathing out, I note fear within me. And you want to be sure you include awareness of whatever body sensation seems to be accompanying the emotional state. Step two, breathing in, I know the causes and conditions of this fear are within me, and so on. Step three is breathing in, I e, I calm fear, breathing out, I calm fear. The fourth step is easing. And the fifth step is a more analytical, examining, considering the causes and conditions that led to this emotional state arising. So this is the hour when we turn into pumpkins. So let's take uh, maybe two more questions. Yes. Well, when I do it, I do it uh, not quite touching my body, just so that the gesture itself has the quality of ease. Because in the meditation, the description is to hold the emotional state without denial or clinging. Yes. Right. But I'm also not talking about not having boundaries. Well, I probably would not do this meditation on the corner of uh, Times Square. <laughs> I would do it in a situation where I actually was able to be a little bit quiet and with myself. And that probably isn't in the thick of the fray with somebody who's carrying on. But, you know, I think one of the great misunderstandings in the Buddhist tradition is uh, that uh, this um, this is about sort of merging with everything, being one. What is the joke about? What does a Buddhist say to the hot dog vendor at the baseball game? I'll have one with everything. I think that one of the great... I have a friend of mine who sends me sheets of these things on email, and it's just unbelievable. I mean, and they don't stop. That's just, And they're all terrible. But I do think there is, for many of us, um, a real misunderstanding about uh, appropriate boundaries, boundaries and limits. The Buddha was not a wimp. (laughs) And he's not asking us to be either. And this is where, um, in the Tibetan tradition, in the sacred art tradition, um, there is depicted forms of compassion and wisdom that you would not want to meet in a dark alley. 
But these are states that are being described that arise not from anger, but from wisdom and compassion. And I think the challenge is for us to discover that capacity to be firm, to be clear, that doesn't come from anger or fear, but comes from confidence and clear seeing. And for most of us, we have some work to do to get to that point. But... Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Until I can be with my own fear and anger, I'm going to have a very hard time being with someone else's. That's why we're all mirrors for each other. We all get excited when someone else starts doing the very thing that we're afraid of in ourselves. So I have... uh, I agreed to do a couple of announcements and then we should end, but I'm uh, perfectly happy to talk with some of you informally afterwards. There are two upcoming residential retreats. James Barres, Sylvia Borstein, and Guy Armstrong are doing one in late July at the Angela Center. And Gil Fronsdale, Mary Orr, and John Travis um, in early August at the Vajrapani Center down near Santa Cruz. Sylvia leads the regular Wednesday morning class from 9 to 11. This week, Sylvia won't be there, but I will. (laughs) This is my week at Spirit Rock. The class is for all levels of meditators. The Friday morning meditation and yoga class is not being held in June, but will be held again beginning the first week in July. And when you leave Spirit Rock this evening, please drive carefully. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.